Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist, and now a health coach based in Arkansas, who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the queen of Arkansas media. I started this podcast in 2020 to help you live a better life. For this episode, I'm introducing you to two experts in the field of weight loss and intermittent fasting. It's our There Is No Quick Fix episode, and it's kicking off 2024. First up, one of our favorites, health coach Laurie Lewis, and then Dr. Paul Kolodzik. Laurie's the gal behind FastForwardWellness.com, and you'll get to meet her right after this. If you are looking for non-GMO, naturally gluten-free, American farm milled rice. Welcome to RalstonFamilyFarms.com. That's the website. That's where you can find the products that you can actually buy and have sent to your home, or likely you have a grocery store that sells it. Here in Arkansas, I see it at Whole Foods. I see it at Fresh Market. I see it at Kroger. The major grocery stores definitely have it, but you might be listening someplace that you're not, it's not convenient for you, you don't have accessibility, then I say hop on their website and order the, the rice. And now let me tell you my favorites, well, kind of all of them. But guys, I'm crazy about the purple rice. That's really my husband's favorite. It's just, it's almost meaty. It's so hearty and it has protein in it. The basmati rice we use all the time because of the fragrance. The jasmine rice, well, you see, I'm kind of liking all of them. So if that's the case, get one of the gift boxes. You can get all the different varieties there, or you can get a six pack of any of these. And if you really want to get deep, 25 pound buckets, you can do that. You can order that right now, have it shipped to your door. And this is the website with all the good recipes on what to do with the rice. Helps you with that what to cook dilemma. Find out more information at RalstonFamilyFarms.com. You know, we changed the calendar. We're a new year, a new month. But one thing that hasn't changed the plight of the dog rescues and their need for funds. How can you help? You can help by going to dogtalktv.com. Link is in the show notes and find out how you can buy some of the books written by these authors who adore dogs. Pat Becker Wallace being one of them. She's NADOI certified. So that means she dog obedience trainer. She she knows her stuff. She is a dog whisperer and a dog lover. She's an animal lover. In fact, she's written many of the books on dogtalktv.com. And if you go there, you might even recognize her because in Oklahoma City, she had a PBS uh, critically acclaimed show on PBS. Um, she's just been around taking care of animals and really contributing to charities for a long time. But what you do is when you buy one of the books there, the proceeds, part of the proceeds of the books goes to the rescues. Now you can even designate which rescue here in central Arkansas. We have a couple, we have care and we have out of the woods. Um, I believe even Oklahoma City has some. You can reach out to the people on the website and ask them about maybe a local charity close to you in one of these dog rescues. That's how important it is that we support the dog rescues. You can do it right now by buying some books at dogtalktv.com. She won most talkative in high school, and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. 
Okay, everybody, not many people get an invitation more than once or twice, but Lori Lewis is the trifecta now. This is her third podcast appearance on the Lisa Fisher Said podcast. We actually met in person in March of 2022. Yeah. Yeah. Almost two years ago now. And you are kind of the queen of helping people start because you're also a, a book author, which we're putting all this in the show notes. You have your own online course. You you help people. You coach them. Um, you're there in the Pacific Northwest. But Laurie, how do people get started? Like, let's say I'd never heard of it. What would you tell me to do for January of 2024 to get started with intermittent fasting? I would say that let's stop relating to January as the month to fix everything and pull out all the stops. And okay. So think of it this way. We treat November and December like a free for all. We go completely bonkers. And then we relate to January as poor little January has to fix everything. (laughs) January is a time of wintering of hibernating, of turning inward and being quiet. We treat January like spring. Spring is for planting and rain and sunshine and seeds and flowers. And we treat January as the time to fix what we consider to be our bad behavior. I don't consider it bad behavior, but the world does. Bad behavior in, in, uh, well, from Halloween candy through New Year's bubbly. So, Let's start with, before you even begin the practice of intermittent fasting, deciding that, realizing that, approaching it like it's not a diet, I'm going to be a person who treats myself very well, no matter what's happening in my life, whether it's November, January, July, (laughs) okay? And so if I can create uh, a regimen, a consistent practice of fasting clean and having an eating window and treat it like a therapy as opposed to something, you know, that I'm going to do short term to lose a bunch of weight. So let's establish this approach of gentle, consistent, kind practice that feels good. So the top requirement is if I do this, my intention is going to be on feeling good. Okay. So if all that is check, 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 yes, I'm aligned. I'm going to feel good in 2024. It's not just all going to be pulling out all the stops in January when I should be in hibernation mode. The way I get people to start or consider starting is start at the end of the day. So everybody, wherever you are, whatever time it is where you are, start at the end of the day. What time today are you going to, as we say, close your eating window? That means when are you going to stop eating, taking in nutrients, taking in flavored drinks? When are you going to shift from flavors and nutrients to plain unflavored water? What time is that going to be? People are like, well, what's the best time? What's the right time? I don't know. <laughs> like, what's what do you have going on? When do you eat with your family? Or what you know, when's your commute? When do you, when do you work out? Like, when feels like the right time for you to close the wind the eating window and shift to plain water? So let's say they say seven, could be ten, could be midnight, could be four. I don't care. 
whatever time it is, you shift to plain unflavored water. You have your evening, you go to bed early, you sleep well, you wake up tomorrow. And 12 hours after you close that eating window, you can open it. So what do you do when you open the eating window? You eat normally. If you like your morning, if you like your candy coffee, if you like your breakfast, you eat normally. People are like, what's normally? I'm like, well, what do you normally eat? <laughs> and then th- then that's day one. You did it. You, you successfully. You did Yahoo! it. You <laughs> right. fasted clean for 12 hours. I should wedge in there. Before you open the eating window, if you're awake for a couple hours, you might like a plain water, a plain black coffee, a plain bitter black or green tea. The theme is plain unflavored. You wait to open your eating window. And gradually increase those fasting hours and shrink that eating window. And then people are like, well, what's the goal then? It's like, that depends on your health goals, your weight, your fitness, your daily schedule, your countenance, you know. And um, but that twelve twelve has proven to have people feel better and live longer. Is that a therapy or a protocol that would help someone lose a hundred pounds or even fifteen? Probably not with a twelve twelve. So we need to extend it and get into fat burning mode. But um, that's how you start. You say something that I think is profound and that this is not a diet, but it's a quiet. (laughs) Explain that. Oh, gosh. You know, the noise that's constantly going about it's I I like it's kind of like a street brawl between cravings and hormones. And it's when am I going to eat next? When am I going to eat next? I'm starving. And that noise when we are a person who fasts clean and eats later in an eating window, it takes usually a few days to feel much better, but it takes about a month for us to become what we call fat adapted, flipping this metabolic switch and burning our own body fat for energy, that once we're utilizing our own body fat for energy, the body is so happy for that (laughs) quiet. Mm -hmm. This is nice lovely, sustained energy and the noise of when am I going to eat? 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 It goes away. And we just eat later in our eating window. We look forward to the delicious, nutritious, yummy food. I say, you know, the foods you love that love you back. Like, "Mm, I can't wait for, you know, veggie lasagna and a big bowl of spinach and, you know, whatever you love that has you feeling amazing. And so this beautiful dance of putting our bodies into a state of repair, consciously, deliberately, quietly, and then eating the food we love that makes us feel amazing later. And by eating, I also mean drinking flavored drinks and taking in any nutrients of any kind in the eating window. That is a beautiful way to live. And I've kept an eating window every day for six and a half years. And your success is 50 pounds. What was your total weight loss? 50? 50 plus. Yeah, yep. that's what I thought. And my biggest success now is that I was in head to toe pain. You could push anywhere on my body wow. and it hurt. 
And now I, I'm 60 years old. I have no aches and pains, zero. My knees, my hips, my shoulders, Amazing. my hands, my back, nothing. I'll, I can sit in a car because I do this from time to time and drive from Oregon to Colorado, 24-hour drive. I split it in two. So I can sit in my car for 14 hours, jump out, wow. pump gas, jump back in. No part of me hurts. And it used to be that I would sit for five or 10 minutes and I'd stand up and it'd be like, ow, ow, ow. So the inflammation coming down is the biggest win. And then the other factor that that we really don't understand too well is this idea of high circulating insulin. Mm -hmm. People think blood sugar is the problem, mm -hmm. but it's really the precursor to blood sugar being the problem is high circulating insulin. And I know we've talked about Dr. Ben Bickman and his book, oh, yes. you know, Why We Get Sick. It's really an Profound. inspiring mm -hmm. book. So lowering that insulin, stopping the hormonal street brawl, stopping the cravings, getting everything quiet. And then Lisa, I went back for a second time. So a year and a half ago, I went to a longevity center and had all these tests done and my mitochondrial health and all the factors that go, you know, VO2 max and everything tested. And at age 59, my biological age was 40. So wow. I went back again and had it tested again at 60 and my biological age is 40. Okay. Wow. So it didn't not go up. Right. Yeah. And the doctor explained, I was like, all my results were actually better. So why didn't the number change? And she said, it's a range. So I actually, it'll take something to get to third, to get it to tick back to 35. Mm -hmm. But so my biological age is still 40. That's like a healthy fit pre-menopausal woman. Wow. My, the health of my cells. And the doctor looked at my results and she looked at me and she said, you're an intermittent faster. And I said, how do you know that? And she said, look, she said in this test that I'm breathing into this thing yeah. that, that registers every like seven seconds or something, I'm breathing out pure fat. I'm not wow. a sugar burner in any way at all. And she could tell. So low inflammation, being able to utilize the stored energy, which we're never going to run out, right? We're at our ideal weight and right. I'm like 22% body fat. So a quarter of my whole self is fat. I'm never going to run out. Right. And it's this glorious fuel. Glorious Feels, fuel. Yeah. Then, then the question people have for also for this month is, um, then what exercise do I pair with this and when do I do it? What is your answer? Mm, well, what do you love? Do you love right. cross-country skiing? Do you love, mm -hmm. you know, the Peloton? Do you mm -hmm. love walking up and down your stairs? Is it more of a functional movement, mm -hmm. you know, around, in and around your life that you enjoy? Is it a Pilates class? What do you love? Now, for people, as all people, especially women, as we age, it's very important to pick up heavy things mm -hmm. consistently. Mm -hmm. And our muscle mass and strength deteriorates rapidly and um, our balance. So people talk about in improving their strength and flexibility. And I would add a third leg to that stool, which would be balance. We've got to be able to sit dead on the floor and stand back up without using our hands. Wow. We've got yeah. to be able to stand on one foot 
with our eyes closed, test it. It's like kind of easy with your eyes open. The minute you close your eyes, it's like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so there are tests that we can do. We can hang from a bar and try hanging for 30 seconds. Woo, man, that's hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it gets harder and harder as we age. So anybody out there who's like, oh, I hate hitting the gym. We've got to find something that you love because our bodies are designed to move and it gets riskier and riskier as we age to not be moving. So what kind of movement do you love? And find a buddy, find a trainer, find somebody and start picking up heavy stuff. The, the Standing on one foot. Yes, I did both today because yeah. it's so important. I did red light therapy. I knew I couldn't do my workout. So I did some red light therapy and lifted some heavy things. And then I do the sobriety walk. That's another thing that also helps yeah. um, for postmenopausal women with, um, so you're not teaching when you cough or things of pelvic floor therapy. It's part of it. Yes. And it's also a barometer about our um, mental health. You know, Alzheimer's patients have a hard time doing the sobriety walk. So I do it just to make sure that I, I'm sober in my walk and my brain's working and things like that. That's now, right. um, let's switch over to there has been some research and Bigman's talked about it. Dr. Fung has. And that is because this time of year we're airing this. It gets dark early. You know, oh boy. it's five o'clock. Uh, Fung has said for years, it's I would prefer you getting your last meal in before the sun sets. And then there's been some newer research just in the last that I've seen in the last year that we're more insulin sensitive in the mornings and yes. that if you if you would to make to have a breakfast and lunch eating window and then shut your window earlier what do you think about that well i think that it's important to consider what the science says but then for a person to decide for themselves what works best for you so yeah. if you think well the science says i should work out at this exact time and the science says i should eat at this exact time if that doesn't work with your life, you're never going to keep going. So we want to discover, experiment, establish the regimen that works with your life. Now, over time, so many, I'm sure you know them too. So many people will start with, you know, they'll increase gradually, they'll settle into their eating window that they love. And then after months or even years, the, I have clients now who used to have an evening eating window and they're like, you know what? I just feel so much better yeah. eating in the middle of the day. Now I'm the opposite. I could yeah. never eat in the middle of the day. It, I remember it, you saying that. No uh-huh. way. I. It is very fun for me to finish my work day, open my eating window, have a little something, something, make my dinner, eat my dinner, close my eating window. That is how I feel amazing. So if this, just because the science says you're more insulin sensitive in the morning, blah, blah, blah. That doesn't mean that I'm going to change because this works great for me. And the way I know it works great for me is that's how I feel my best. That's how I'm most productive, clear, focused, enlivened. And that's my own discovery. And so that's what I love doing for each individual is, you know, the cornerstones of my coaching is in my foundation is the first cornerstone is a clean fast. The second is curiosity, leaning in with a spirit of discovery and exploration. The third cornerstone is customization, because what's great for you is not necessarily great Mm -hmm. for someone else. And the fourth cornerstone is continuing. 
it used to be consistency, but I felt like consistency was a little judgy, like staying consistent. Right. Like, oh, I have to. And then you beat yourself up because you aren't consistent. No, I'm, I think that what works is whatever happened today, you just jump right back into your regimen that you know is your sweet spot and your groove. And the game is continuing. Don't worry about consistency. Just continue. <laughs> Carry That's on. That's right. Right. Move forward. Yeah. Just That's keep. right. And don't beat yourself up. Self, uh, self-loathing mm. is a terrible, terrible thing. Don't look in the mirror and say bad things about yourself. Mm. Love yourself. You know, you we have so many messages in media that we're not Kardashians and we don't drive a Jaguar. I mean, if someone's listening and you're a Kardashian, welcome to the Lisa Fisher said podcast. And if you're driving a Jaguar, you're always thinking, but there's something, a Rolls Royce, or if you're not a Kardashian, then you have to be something else. So um, I'm all about to, of, um, I, I mean, not the power of positive thinking, but talking sweet to the person you see in the mirror too. Oh, yes. Um, also then let's talk about, because the new person always asks, um, can I move my eating window around? Do, let's say tomorrow night I'm having the big banquet and I'm not going to eat till six and I'm going to close my window at nine. But then on Saturday, I've got this brunch that everyone's flying in from all over the solar Ooh, system. Sounds good. And I want to go to it. What do I do? <laughs> okay. So for new fast, so the answer is yes, you may absolutely move it around. So I imagine a world, Lisa, where everybody on earth wakes up today and says, when's my eating window today? When, when's your yeah. eating window today, yeah. Lisa? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you can decide the night before when you close your eating window, mm, when's it going to be tomorrow? Okay. So yes, you can look at what your day holds and you can make it shorter, earlier, longer, later, whatever. However, for new intermittent fasters, it can be helpful to try and do the same thing every day. Now that's tricky because depending on, um, you and I are talking right now, like before the holiday season and, um, the, as people approach November and December, it's a perfect time to say, yeah, you can float it around, slide it yeah. around, make it longer, yeah. make it shorter, make it later. But when you're a new intermittent faster, it can be helpful to have in your mind. I don't eat before noon. I don't eat past eight. And somewhere in there, I have a six hour eating window. That's just a total example. I don't eat before 10. I don't eat past three. Somewhere in there, I have a, you know. So having the, I call them guardrails. Those are these edges that somewhere with it, you know, when you're driving down the road, you're not hitting the guardrails. <laughs> you're kind of in there, right? In a sweet spot, in a zone. But once you have those guardrails established that for the most part on any given day, you eat generally between this time and this time, that is very important to have that established in your mind and in your habits, because it's hard for human beings to make new habits. And then the people around you in your life know, oh, my family member or my friend or my coworker, they eat between here and here. Um, and it's flexible. So don't have it be so flexible that it gets all fuzzy <laughs> right. and wobbly and wiggly. Yeah. yeah, right. Don't wobble and wiggle. We're trying to get you for stop jiggling steady. too. Yeah. Right, steady. Okay, steady. then somebody listening, they're thinking, okay, I love this. I, I want to start. How do Yay. I get my, my husband on board? How do you I get, get my 
kids on board. What do they get do? Your, get yourself on board. We're only responsible for ourselves. That's you're right. happy. You're joyful. You're loving your food. You're not complaining about your body. You love your fasting hours. You feel so good. You can't wait to eat later. It's so awesome. People are going to be like, what are you doing? How are you doing that? Do. How you, do. how come you, how come you seem so, you know, buoyant? Well, um, yeah, we're not here to tell other people what to do. Isn't Let's, that a great thing? I think yeah. 60 really, I, I think, I mean, I, I've been married a long time and raising kids who never do what I say. And I've got great ideas, but, but, you know. <laughs> but all that to say, you know, I definitely know that more. I mean, I just think as we age, we really understand that. Yeah. Um, and one thing too, you've also encouraged me to do, and that was, and this is for those with the PhD in fasting and it's the longer fast. And because of you, you encouraged me to do at least a three day fast. Do you do them quarterly or twice a year? Oh gosh, I'm not that regimented, okay, but I just, love for a person to, you know, you'd have to figure out why you're doing it and you have to be... Uh, if you're going to consider doing a longer therapeutic fast, I think it has to arise as a natural curiosity, not as a should, not as a, ugh, as a, everybody else is. So I guess I have to, you know, as Jen Stevens says, it's not the fasting Olympics. I know plenty of people who have reached their goal weight, lost a considerable amount of weight, maintained it and never once fasted over 20 or 21 hours. So it's not required. It can be a beautiful healing reset for our gut, our liver, our Mm -hmm. metabolic health, having a quiet, you know, prayer and fasting. (laughs) Those two things have gone together throughout all human history. And I would say if a person feels like they're inspired to have a physical, emotional, mental and spiritual reset. Yes, it can be pretty awesome to tune inward and have a a longer fast. Um, I would recommend having someone that you share with that you're doing that and you could have an accountability buddy or not. Um, But um, it's, it's inward and it's personal and it's quiet. It's not a should. And the great thing about fasting is when they say, I'm going to do my first of the year detox, this is it. Fasting is the best detox. You can do it every day. Okay, kids, her website is uh, Fast Forward Wellness, right? Fastforwardwellness.com. Yeah, fast wellness. Mm-hmm. She can be your, uh, she does group coaching, individual coaching. She's written a book. Her story about losing the weight through after menopause. You know, this is a girl that ran the New York City Marathon, lived in Manhattan. She's a city slicker and she was, well, hit with, it was like a Mack truck when you gained 50 pounds in menopause. And she's totally helped thousands of people all over the world. Laura, you're one of our favorite people. And thank you for carving us this small time for us in. And uh, we'll all break bread later in the day because it's two o'clock my time, noon your time, and you'll open your window when you do. I open mine when I do because we're all different. It's the best. It's the best. It's such a wonderful way to live. Thank it you, totally Lisa. Is. I love seeing you and being with you. Thank I you for your the, amazing I feel, work. I feel the same way. Thanks for being here. Can you hear this? 
Well, you really can't. It's kind of silent. It's a plastic box. But it's my saliva hormone test kit that I picked up at Cornerstone Pharmacy and Compounding in Little Rock, Arkansas. For those of you listening anywhere in the world, you can go to compounding at cornerstone.com and you too can order one of these kits and you get 20% off when you use Lisa at checkout. I used my own name. It was a little awkward, but no, it wasn't at all because I shop there all the time. But that's where you can get 20% off the saliva or the Dutch hormone test and even their other products. If you want to order the supplements at Compounding at Cornerstone, you can do that. Now, Brittany helped me with this. She's the owner there because I noticed in some lab work that I was low in one of my sex hormones. And she said, let's just get to the bottom of it. Let's do some saliva testing. You see, you also get extra expert advice. Now, they don't give medical advice per se because they can't write the prescription, but they can push you in a direction, the people there, and say, oh, you might need to see this provider. Now, I have a provider. You've met her before on my podcast, Lindsay Gillum-Ponwith, but uh, we do need to tweak. And that's why Dr. Mark Hyman says, test, don't guess. So if you're wondering about your hormone profile, do it right now order the test. You can get it tested, get the results back, and you get the expert advice. Compounding at cornerstone.com. I love going to the website for marlsgate.com. Marlsgate.com, it's hard to even define it in just a few sentences, but it is this historic property in Scott, Arkansas, a small community about 15 minutes from downtown Little Rock. And on this property that was built in the 1850s. The original home is there. The pecan orchards, the acres of beautiful property, tenderly, lovingly cared for now by the Talbot family, just the third family of owners with this property. And they bought it in 2017. And wow, what they are doing in restoring it and keeping it up. And it's impressive. And not just Marlsgate, but it's everything really the Talbot family what they're doing in this community. Bo is a hustler and so is Martha Ellen. And that means you can see what they're doing with their heirloom foods, the culinary arts, the lodging they have by land and water. I love the restaurant, Scott Station. We're crazy about that restaurant. But for the rest of you, if you're wondering what Marlsgate is, it could be the perfect event location for your treasured event because this isn't just a venue. This is somebody's home and it turns into a memory that's talked about for generations. Find out more by going to the website marlsgate.com. Now it's time to meet guest two today in what we could call the There Is No Quick Fix to Weight Loss episode. My next guest has been on my podcast in the past. He's a medical doctor who helps people lose weight and he's the author of a book, and it's the magic of the continuous glucose monitor. Everybody meet Dr. Paul Kolodzik. All right, second appearance from Dr. Paul. Uh, and it, 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 you convinced me once I downloaded your book. It's the CGM book. And the complete title is The Continuous Glucose Monitor Revolution for Non-Diabetics. Lose weight, look great, live longer with continuous glucose monitoring. Who doesn't want to do that? Now, everybody should want I mean, to do it. Everybody should want to do it. So we're kicking off 2024 for people, because this is the good news in this, in our generation. You don't have to go on a diet, but you do have to look at the metrics as to why your pants don't fit from last year. 
Wouldn't you say that's accurate? It's data-driven health. Absolutely. Well, what got you interest then, interested in, because you come from the emergency medicine yeah. side, what got you interested to understand that the data is really uh, the carrot that dangles for us to get us to, to be compliant in what we're doing every day to lose our health risks, not just lose weight, but eliminate our health risks? Yeah. So um, my background's in the emergency department and seeing peripheral vascular disease and oh, congestive yeah. heart failure yeah. and strokes and diabetic issues with kidney disease for years, peripheral neuropathy. That's really what got me focused on this. And I realized after many years in the emergency department that, you know, most people, probably a majority of people come into the emergency department because of vascular issues. Mm-hmm. And a majority of those people are diabetic. Um, and if they just had an understanding long-term of what controlling their blood glucose can do for them, mm-hmm. then, then they would change their habits and their lifestyle. And so that's really what got me going to begin with. So you, the book is for non-diabetics. I would say so much of the, half the planet now is probably diabetic and doesn't know it. So is it okay if a type two diabetic picks up your book and devours it? Oh, absolutely. You know, and interestingly enough, there's a lot of diabetics that are not using continuous glucose monitors. Why not? Well, some, <laughs> I mean, it, sometimes it's a cost issue. Sometimes insurances will only cover the cost if you're on insulin, if you're using oh, it to regulate your insulin. Okay. Um, though I work with a lot of patients that are diabetics and we get them coverage. But quite honestly, as we talked before, this cost is very nominal for the information you yeah. gain and how it can impact impact your health. So again, I think anybody that's in the pre-diabetic range has a family history of diabetes, um, diabetic, then really should be looking at doing this. Okay. And and you explain all that in your book. Uh, again, the book is great. I listen to an audible when I'm working out because you're the one that reminded me in the last time we interviewed, don't skip leg day. So yeah. <laughs> I, 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 especially when I'm on leg day, I'm thinking, what did Dr. Paul say about this? Dietdoctor.com is the website. Okay. So for newbies, Dr. Paul, who are listening, they, cause you have to have a prescription. We discussed a provider right. has to write a prescription, all 50 States in the U S to get one of these devices. Why does it absolutely have no feeling to it? And why are we scared when we think the little teeth are going to puncture us? Puncture us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really a benign placement. You don't even know it's there except for the valuable data that it's giving giving you. And, you know, for those that may not be completely familiar with CGMs, these are the devices that are worn on the back of the arm of diabetics, which we're using in my practice with non-diabetics and pre-diabetics. You apply it. It puts a little sensor under the skin, really the the size of a couple hairs. Um, The device stays on the back of your arm. As you know, you've you've used one um, Mm -hmm. for, they stay in the back of the arm for two weeks. And then you get a 24-7 reading of your blood glucose on the app that's connected to it uh, on your phone. So you can um, make it an expensive option because I know levels and other groups make it. So there are more there are pricier options. I did the poor man's version because I don't have type 2 diabetes. Mine was $75. And mine, I've done it for like two weeks at a time. I don't know why I have balloons showing up on my <laughs> podcast screen. I like it though. I like it. Thank you. I don't know what. Uh, this isn't a trip from the 60s. 
That was odd. Um, I'll dare and look into that. But um, all that to say, would you say at least two weeks is the minimum that people, that's that's a minimum would you use? But even if someone thought, gosh, budget is such a uh, concern for me, but at least one two-week period, doesn't that provide enough data to get you started? Yeah, that really gives you a great insight um, from the beginning. And, and in most our patients, even if they are not diabetic or pre-diabetic, if they have private insurance, usually we find that the copay is cut to about 35 bucks for a two-week oh. period. Okay, I didn't um, realize that. So, yeah. So, and, and, okay. and then you, you get to see the data. You get to see where you live in terms of your blood glucose. You get to see how high your averages are. You get to see the variability of the pattern. And when you spike and when you come down and maybe then understand the reason for, you know, your brain fog or fatigue after a high carb meal and it changes behavior. And, you know, one of the chapters in the book is CGMs change lives. And I firmly believe that. Oh, absolutely. All right. So this is the other definition we have to go over. We have to have our little 101 lesson is the difference in glucose and insulin. And this measures glucose. So explain to people insulin's role in glucose and getting it to the cells. Yeah, just very basically, the physiology is this. When you eat a carb, it becomes blood glucose in your system as soon as it's absorbed. Your blood glucose goes up. That's a signal to the pancreas to release insulin. Insulin is the key in the lock to allow that blood glucose into your organs. And the easiest organ to think about in in this sense is your muscles. So, So basically, so far, so good. Your muscles need energy. Blood glucose is a good source of energy. But unfortunately, since the food pyramid came in and the American diet, we're eating way more carbs than we should. So our blood sugar stays high for a longer period of time. And what happens is that insulin signal keeps coming at the muscles, trying to push that blood glucose into the organs. Uh, But the organs say, hey, we got plenty of energy. We don't need any more energy. And that's what the term insulin resistance is. The organs are resisting the insulin. And unfortunately, then what happens is that blood glucose has to go somewhere. So it goes to the liver, gets converted to fat, and deposited around our middle. And that's why carbs cause weight gain. And that's why I'm an advocate of a low-carb diet, because you can reverse that process. Okay. Can you reverse, you know, for years we said diabetes was, a type 2 diabetes was a managed condition. Do we now say it's reversible and insulin resistance is reversible, or do we always have to manage it? So insulin resistance is reversible. Okay. Um, the the categories are pre generally thought that pre diabetes is reversible, a hundred percent reversible. People right. that have pre diabetes have insulin resistance. Once you're diabetic, the general thought in medicine is you kind of crossed a line where you're always going to have some insulin resistance. So we talk more about diabetes. Mm-hmm being put in remission. And I've had a number of patients, we've been able okay. to get off their diabetic medications. We've been able to get them off insulin or drastically lower their insulin levels. Um, but they're still going to have that insulin uh, issue in the background, insulin resistance issue in the background. And at some point, again, they may progress. So the party line is pre-diabetes is reversible. 
Diabetes generally uh, can be put in remission, but is not completely reversible. And, and I'm just going to put a plug in here for people the people that are pre-diabetic, that is an urgent period of time because you still have the opportunity to go ahead and reverse that pre-diabetes. And, you know, the way our healthcare system is set up, we don't pay as much attention to that. You know, you go in to see your doc, you got 20 minutes once every six months or a year, and, and the docs are pressured. I got a lot of friends that are primary care docs, so I'm not bad-mouthing them, but, right. you, you know, sometimes they don't want to open that whole can of worms. And so the term you might hear here is, Oh, your blood sugar's a little bit high. We'll keep an eye on it. In your mind, lights and sirens should be going off because good. that's when yeah. you can reverse this process. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. So um, is that a diagnostic tool then, the A1C? Because I know, you know, unless you fight with your doctor, it's hard to get a fasting insulin, which is what yeah. I prefer for my clients. But for the general population, it's the A1C and the blood glucose that probably is the flashing right that de right? determines that when you go to your doc those are the numbers that are likely going to be run so um if you're over 100 milligrams per deciliter that that's diabetes over 125 this is fasting blood glucose over 125 is diabetes hemoglobin a1c is the amount of uh, glucose that is attached to the hemoglobin molecules on your red blood cells um, and if that's above 5.7 percent or so that puts you in a pre-diabetic range over 6.5 you, you're in a diabetic range, but you brought up a fasting insulin test, which yeah. I, I think fasting insulin tests are more important than cholesterol mm -hmm. for the I majority of Americans. And a fasting insulin test will really help you drill down on the amount of insulin resistance you have. Um, I just heard Dr. Ken Berry talking about, because he talks about the proper human diet, PhD diet, and that is beef, butter, bacon, and eggs. And he was explaining um, why sometimes people will still have high A1C or blood glucose, but have a low fasting insulin. It was something about, oh, it was some magical um, equation, but he said, don't let that alarm you. He goes, that's why I still like to see what your fasting insulin is, because depending on these uh, high fat diets, which are what, you know, a carnivore diet, basically is, is yeah. low carb. I mean, that's the yeah, magic. Yeah, it's the low yeah. carb. He said, yeah. but don't always uh, run for the hills with the, if the A1C creeps up, because if you're fasting insulin's low, that trumps the other numbers. I think that's yeah. a pretty fair way to say that. Yeah, the fasting insulin is very important. And I think what he was referring to, if you get a simultaneous fasting insulin level with a fasting blood glucose, there's a relationship between those two. Because if your insulin's up a little bit, should be pushing that blood glucose down. So the, the name of the, the calculation is a HOMA-IR, H-O-M-A-I-R, fancy acronym for homeostatic model of insulin resistance. You don't have to remember all that. But, you know, I think it'd be great if people start asking their doctor if they can have a fasting insulin level so they can get their HOMA IR calculated. Okay. Now you talk about that in the book. So is that a test that they provide with my diagnostician or do I have to do math? 
No, it's simple. It, it, you basically, you get a fasting blood glucose okay. and you get a fasting insulin level and you go on the internet and plug it into the HOMA okay. IR formula. All and right. the results of a HOMA IR is, is just, um, it, it's just a number. It doesn't have any units with it. But basically, if you're above two, you got some insulin resistance. And if you go, the higher you go, the more insulin resistance you have. Very, very valuable test. When are we going to start getting medical schools to recognize that insulin resistance, and I mentioned this to you last time because I truly yeah. believe it is the smoking gun for our health, especially yeah. in the 21st century. When when can, do- I mean, because doctors can only get on the bandwagon, A, if the big pharma gets involved, and they're not because there's yeah. no, no benefit to no. them. Uh, but yeah. when, when can we start educating physicians? Uh, you think it's just social media and podcasts and yeah. Facebook uh, and all the things that they can finally catch on? Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, medicine changes at a glacial rate. Medicine yeah. changes very, very slowly. You know, the metabolic health movement, the low carb movement among con- clinicians now is gaining momentum. Good. You, you know, it's no longer viewed. I mean, people don't view low carb as a fad diet anymore. It was maybe a fad diet 30 years ago, but for a diet that's now been around 40, 50 years, it's not a fad diet anymore. And I think clinicians are beginning to understand understand this, but it's just that things move really slow. And as you mentioned, um, you know, you aren't going to have the backing of the pharmaceutical Mm -hmm. industry um, or or even the entire health system because, you know, people changing their lifestyle to a low carb approach to lose weight and get more health uh, doesn't really provide a lot of profit. Yeah, right. And it it is a a profitable, it's a profit based industry, both. Yeah your insurance company, uh, the insurance providers and um, healthcare, which, you know, I know people like you don't look at it that way because you meet people and you may not even, they might, you might not even take insurance, which is fine because you're trying to get to the root cause. And I love that. Um, Okay. So I have a client who um, it's funny when you're at my position, meaning I don't have the fancy letters at the end of my name or anything, but I'm somebody who's a health coach and I'm somebody who's extremely interested in health. So when I, as a certified health coach, I do not give medical advice, but helping people maybe navigate yeah, this sure. time in their lives. Right. So great service, very it, valuable uh, service. Uh, and yeah. Dr. Hyman told us that years ago when he came and spoke to us at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, just said, I really feel like the health future of healthcare is partnering with the health coach to get you where you need to go because Traditional doctors only have twenty minutes. And just but just it, to interject, your your group is often ahead of medicine as well. So yeah, and yeah. and I because nobody's paying us not to get ahead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're not incentivized. We're I'm in and I'm not even incentivized. I'd love it that I had no clients. That everybody I knew was metabolically healthy. Yeah. I'd love to be run out of business. I mean, it would it would be a great day that nobody needed the help because my specialty is or my love is uh, intermittent fasting and insulin resistance. But when this client came to me and her A1C was six point five and her um, fasting blood glucose was about one twenty five. And so I had her slap on the um, CGM and 
when it when it wouldn't do right, she was almost mad at me. She was going, what's going on now? And I'd talk about the dawn phenomenon that happens in the morning. But then after two weeks, I think she thought, because then she got a new one, she yeah. wanted it all be better. But you have to explain yeah. to people, it's more than just the first two, especially if you're insulin resistant, right? Right. Well, you know, insulin resistance doesn't happen overnight. You know, it happens over a period of years. In fact, many docs believe, and I'm one of them, that the insulin resistance uh, that you have could have begun five, seven years before you're even pre-diabetic. Bigman says 15 to 20 years. Yeah, yeah. And Bigman's a very smart guy. Yes. So I I would follow, you know, his insights. Um, But but you're right. You you can't change things in two weeks that have been developing for a period of years. You know, and, and from my perspective, that's okay because... Uh, a low carb lifestyle is a lifestyle change and you know things that change in a couple of weeks may not be sustainable right. and we're looking for lifestyle changes including low carb intermittent fasting and as we've talked before strength training to reduce insulin resistance um, that are going to be lifelong changes okay so somebody listening to this now because we're partnering this episode with the my conversation with Laurie Lewis about intermittent fasting um, which when it's funny, when I first started intermittent fasting, I never thought about my carb intake. It wasn't until I wanted to feel my best, even though I was fasting, I still got tired after meals sometimes. And it's probably because I was eating more carbs than I do now. So it's incorporating all that. So you love the combination of, well, explain why strength training too, what it does for your it it pushes the glucose to the cell because you said by then right. it it's responsive right so so what happens is first of all you, you know your muscles are the most malleable organ in your body which means you can change their size um and if you can increase the size of your muscle mass you can increase the receptivity and the efficiency of the insulin receptors that are on those muscles so they soak up more insulin therefore your muscles soak up more blood glucose therefore it's there's a lower blood glucose and um and less to go to the liver um, to cause weight gain or inhibit weight loss. And then you you get the secondary benefit. And though I'm not a calories in, calories out, energy expenditure model person, when you increase the size of your muscle mass, um, you you are increasing your overall metabolism. So you are burning a little bit more energy. And and for everybody, I was going to say, especially for middle-aged women, but uh, in older women, but for everybody, the amount of muscle you have um, can larger muscle mass prevents osteoporosis. Larger muscles put a little bit more strain on your bones. You know, it's one of those things when, you you know, an organ is stressed, when your bones are stressed by a little bit more muscle mass, then they're going to respond by getting stronger. And that's what happens to help prevent osteoporosis. So, I think we maybe talked before, you know, it's not that I I don't believe people should be on the elliptical machine, but I believe for the majority of people that the strength training is so, so much more important than cardiovascular. Do do your basic cardiovascular, you know, get in your American Heart Association guidelines, which you can work out for cardiovascular fitness, which can take you literally only 75 minutes a week and then spend the rest of the time. on strength training. And, and as you know, Lisa, don't skip leg day. 
That's what I, I've never. After you reminded me of that, I say it. I, I, I if you're in my head when I'm at the gym. Um, well, I've said this for years. There are a lot of fat people on the treadmill at the gym because they are chasing the wrong rabbit. Yeah. And and yeah. I hate it for them because I remember being the person thinking I got to lose this weight after my thyroid blew out and I was perimenopausal. And that was the, I wish someone would have said, listen to me, it has nothing to do with the calories that are burned on that machine, which are arbitrary anyway. And we don't know how many calories you've taken in. I mean, there's so many things, but I'm now, my 2024 is everyone, all of my clients, I want you to get a CGM and the strength training, because I've heard Gabrielle Lyon, she's an MD, a geriatrician say that um, muscles are the, the organ of longevity. That there you go. Yeah, I, I haven't heard is, that, but that's great. Yes, it is yeah. fascinating. And I look at, you know, I wonder why some people, like my husband is so impressively fit, does 1,200 sometimes push-ups a day, his upper body strength. I mean, he looks everywhere we go. People say, what sport did you play? You know, we're, we're 60 years old, so we're playing shuffleboard, you know, at the <laughs> retirement village. Clearly, he's not, you know, suited up for a team anymore. And people always ask him, what's your secret? What's your secret? And I've now put it together. He doesn't kill himself with cardio, but he lifts every day. Great. And look at Jack LaLanne. I mean, you remember yeah. he was still lifting in his 90s. He may even still be alive and his wife. And so there's yeah. something to muscle and and it being the organ of longevity. Absolutely. It's important. And, and you know, the muscle below the waist is critical. I mean, what's the most important thing to all of us? Mobility, I think, yes, you know, yes, in, in sure. terms of our health, it's being able to get around. And, you know, many years in the emergency department, I just see a lot of patients that, you know, basically are no longer mobile. And it's simply because mm. of leg strength. It's not a joint issue. Wow. It's not a, a balance problem. It's not a neurological issue. But, you know, a lot of our nursing homes are filled with people that just don't have the leg strength wow. um, to, to get up and around on their own. And, and you know, j- just like just like controlling your weight with a low carb diet, you can control this outcome by maintaining your strength into an, an older age. Yeah. Even at home, you don't have to have a gym. You don't have, you, no, you don't need anything. No, you know, right. I, I have patients start doing squats by just sitting up and down in a chair. That's awesome. You know, that's, that's awesome. the first word. And, and then once you progress, go out and get a couple five pound weights. Yeah. You know, you, you don't need, you know, a set of bands costs 20 bucks. Right. So it, it doesn't have to be fancy. I think that's very encouraging. Okay. So someone puts the CGM on. Now let's explain what happens within the first two hours you will see a spike if you've had any carbs in your diet. And if you eat a strictly carnivore diet, it's pretty boring. I can tell you that. But you get the spike. What is it we're worried about if the spike happens, if it lasts longer than two hours and it's not coming down? Is that a key to something's wrong? Yeah. So so really, we look at two variables. We look at the degree of spike. How high does it go? I have plenty of patients that come to me and they say, I want to lose 20 pounds. That's why I'm here. And then we put a CGM on them and and they're spike into 160, 170, which means they're in the pre-diabetic range. I Um, have people come in, they come in and they're spiking to 220. They blew through the pre-diabetic range and they're already diabetic. Um, But so you look at those curves, you look at a few variables, how high they spike, 
what is the average over a 24-hour period, and what is the actual variability. And then we coordinate a low-carb diet, intermittent fasting approach to basically just level that out. You, you know, you can't you, you can't eliminate all variability, but the change can be remarkable. I've got I've got graphs of patients that did a two-week trial with me with a CGM in which I asked them not to change their diet because oh, I want right. to see you, exactly you where the they book, are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to see exactly where they are in terms of what's going on. Um, we we spend a couple of weeks gathering data, and then we use the CGMs therapeutically so that they can learn how to keep those levels much flatter and much lower. You can set the reference range, so to speak, on yeah. your CGM. Um, and one client said hers was from like eighty to one hundred and fifty. Can can't you bring that? Wouldn't you rather see yeah, that you between can, 80 and 120? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can change those reference ranges. Okay. Um, but I will tell you there's a lot of individual variability. Um, you know, if somebody comes in and, you, you know, their average is uh, 110 and they're spiking to 170, then we'll set an appropriate goal for that. Right. Um, but but if, if their numbers are a lot higher, we need to set a, a reasonable goal. You know, you want people to have success. So we kind of go through this periodic readjustment of these are our goals for this month. You know, once you meet those goals, then we move the goalpost a little bit. And, you know, people are usually getting positive feedback by that time. The the scale numbers are better. Their clothes are fitting better. And and so, you you know, that's kind of self-fulfilling that they just keep going once they get a positive result. So it's subjective at that point. Well, it's individualized. It's personalized. Okay, I I see that. And then what do we do about the person... Um, what, what is a dip too low in the middle of the night for you that worries you? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. Um, I, I have not yet had a patient in my seven years of doing this that has had a meaningful hypoglycemic episode. Hypoglycemia is low, mm. is low blood sugar. You know, somebody's blood sugar dips low in the middle of the night and, and they're feeling fine or they don't wake up. It's not an issue. Okay. And, and my experience over many years in the emergency department is without medications, without patients that are on insulin or other blood glucose lowering medications, hypoglycemia is really, really pretty rare. Um, so I, I really, you know, it, People will dip. Sometimes the alarm on the device will go off. That's what it yeah. was. One of my clients yeah. said, well, it woke me up. Should I be worried? And I said, I'm yeah. going to talk to Dr. Paul this week. I'll yeah. find out. Don't yeah, worry. Don't, I, okay. I tell people not to worry about it. I tell them if that alarm goes off, because unfortunately, you can turn off most of the alarms on the app, except because these devices were made for people receiving insulin, the very low blood glucose alarm can't be turned off. Um, I tell my patient to put their phone in the other room if they can do that and, right. and, and ignore Good. that. Good. So. I, I think that's good advice for everybody for your sleep. Yeah. Sleep is just as important of every, as everything else. Okay. Dietdoctor.com. Uh, the Continuous Glucose Monitor Revolution for Non-Diabetics. It's a book you should get. You should listen to it on Audible when you're doing leg day at the gym and you'll hear his voice telling you, do, don't do skip leg day. <laughs> Dr. Paul, All thank right. you for being here. Great job. You're a great resource and people need to follow you on social media and all your other channels and outlets. Thanks for being here again. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review, won't you? 
The Lisa Fisher Said Podcast is produced by ClantonCreative.com.